0: guys and welcome to the Defending Christianity podcast. You can probably guess what we'll be doing, defending Christianity. While looking at different arguments that try to disprove Christianity, our goal is to look at the evidence that supports the claim of Christianity that our argument is targeting. Join me as we discuss from a skeptical perspective how Jesus is who he says he is and how God includes you in his redemptive plan for humanity. I'm your host, Levi Dade, and this is the Defending Christianity podcast. Enjoy. Enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back to Defending Christianity podcast where we discuss Christianity in the context of skepticism. I'm your host, Levi Dade. Today we're going to be talking about uh, women in the context of early Christianity and the influence they had on Christianity, Um, specifically in relation to how we view Christianity today. Women seem to have had more of an influence than we credit them to. To me, there seems like there's been some kind of not talked about way of going about women in the church. What I mean is we don't really view women the same way, in my opinion, just the way that I see, I've see, i seen it growing up. We don't see women in the same way as men do. Yes, um, they are different genders, and I'm not going there. <laughs> but what I am saying is that in vocational ministry, women have kind of been given a push from this kind of way of thinking that only men should be able to. So I'm not going to say pastor i'm not going to say a specific role like pastor or or um worship leader but i'm just saying in vocational ministry period there has been a push back throughout history throughout the 21st century and way before then especially it's, got, it's gotten better now but still And you know it's true when when a junior in high school feels called to go in the ministry and, and she is a, a, a young woman but she's scared to even tell anybody because she's scared of how the men in the church are going to react. Then, I mean, that kind of says it for itself, at least to an extent. And so the next two episodes, this one and the next one is going to be mainly just about how women actually had an influence in our Christianity today. The next part of this episode is going to be about women in ministry specifically and how we should go about that issue and how we should resolve it and about how, how women can still be confident in their calling to ministry. Um, So it's going to be good. I'm not expecting too much of any kind of backlash in the sense of I've offended anybody um, because we're not trying to go there. Uh, This is just a place for Christians to discuss these kind of issues. So, that being said, our guest today is going to be Dr. Lynn Kohick. She is a New Testament professor. Dr. Lynn Kohick is a New Testament scholar and professor in Denver Seminary in Denver, Colorado. And today we're just going to discuss a couple people from the early church who had an influence over Christianity or in christianity and the way that we see theology and doctrine etc and so it's going to be a way to kind of introduce next week's topic which is about crossing over that cultural and time difference between then and now kind of say okay how can we in light of that and in light of all of this how can and scripture mainly as our um, ultimate authority and god who has spoken to us through scripture in light of all that how can we see women in ministry today um. What have we gotten wrong? What have we gotten right? And what can we just be doing better to just further his kingdom? So yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about today. So now with me, I have Dr. Lynn Kohick.
1: Levi, how are you?
0: I'm good. How are you, Doctor Kowik?
1: Good, good. Sorry, I'm a little late. I was trying to find the passcode.
0: <laughs> oh no, it's okay. It's okay. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and where you're from and how you got into biblical studies?
1: Sure, sure. I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and so I am a diehard Steeler fan. Um, that is definitely a part of our of our family growing up. Um, I grew up though primarily in South Central Pennsylvania. Um, and in farm country um grew up riding horses and um yeah just that kind of life and my mom tells me you know i was always teaching i'm the oldest of three and i was always trying to teach my younger brother and sister you know if they would sit still enough so i I think i always liked teaching and when i got into college that was also the time when i really started reading the bible um in in a kind of serious way and So I I think that all pulled together to say, well, what if I went on and got my Ph.D. so that I could teach Bibles, specifically New Testament at the college level? So that's kind of how it all came together.
0: Men are kind of seen up front and they're like the face of the early church. There were women who were also doing influential things behind the scenes to carry it along as well. And and even though that that is the case, there were so some cultural things kind of dividing them and making women seem as if they were treated less. That, right. That?
1: That's right. That's exactly that, yes. And what I would say is, uh, overall, women would be kind of behind the scenes, like when you're talking about formal councils. But I would say that they're actually very much front and center when you talk about martyrs. Mm. And so these martyrs, like Thecla, like Perpetua and Felicitas, they were martyred in. Two o three A.D. and Augustine on their the annual memorial day of their deaths. Augustine preached sermons about them. So they they there were women who were up front in the imaginations of the of the church, um, and if they were wealthy, they were also up front in a very literal sense as mm-hmm. supporting the the church buildings or, um, yeah, being public in, in that way. So a lot of times if you were wealthy, you were more
0: well-known. Okay. It's just
1: some things never change. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're right about that. The disciples from Jesus received this mandate to go and to make disciples of all nations. And, and, but it seemed like women had little to no role from then in, especially like when you read Acts, there's just very few. Um, so is that the case or did women contribute to the gospel being spread? I guess a better way to ask is we know from the second century to the fifth century, which is where you focus on, but what about the first century? Uh did did women have, have much of influence in the spread of the gospel there?
1: Yeah, I would I would say so. I think when you look at the sixteenth chapter of uh the book of Romans, uh half the women mentioned half the people mentioned there are women. Uh they're very active in in the faith. You have um Yodia and Syntyche, the, um, two women in Philippians four, who are Paul's co-workers. They're clearly important at the church of Philippi, important enough for Paul to mention their name and ask them to, well, what I think it, Paul is saying is they, they probably had some kind of tactical ministry disagreement. They didn't disagree about the gospel, but about how to do the gospel in their mm-hmm. city. And Paul's asking them, uh, to, um, come together on that. Women, also in the book of Acts from Dorcas, who clearly had an amazing or Tabitha, sometimes either name, um, who uh whose ministry was incredibly significant in the in her community. Um so yeah, I would say that and, and Lydia, who uh welcomes Paul in Philippi, um Priscilla and Aquila, um they both teach Apollos. Um so and, and they have a house church, uh, and, they, and they do ministry in Corinth and Ephesus. And so the. I think, the. Um, yeah, you want to populate the the church with women who are actively uh, working alongside Paul. One of the things, for example, Phoebe, who um, um, are looking at, so you have our sister Phoebe, who's a deacon in the church of Sancria, receive her in the Lord. Uh, in a way worthy of his people and give to her any help she may need, for she's been a benefactor of many people, including me. And so that, that word that's translated benefactor, sometimes it's translated helper. It's actually not a really good translation. She, uh, she was very influential in the church, which is a church right there in Corinth. Um, and most likely is the woman who read, she's the one who read the book of Romans to the Roman church. So, boy, I, I can't think of a more active role than, you know, the person who reads Romans uh to the church. And as was typical for uh those who carried Paul's letters, when they carried the letter, they would read it and they would explain it. So that's what Phoebe did. And yeah, so I think part of it is we just, we haven't been taught to to notice these things <laughs> but yeah. they're there if you if you're looking for them
0: mm-hmm. i think growing up in the church what you kind of see it's very subtle is this kind of notion that men are always the, the leaders are always up front and i think that kind of makes us have this presupposition that that's how it has been since the very beginning of time but what we see in reality is that women interpreted scripture from men and that was like basically giving them the actual theology in a way. So I think that's very interesting and very influential for, for women to be doing that as well. So today, we, we kind of want to look at a couple of different people from your book. We, also, we obviously can't look at everybody because that would take a lot of time. But uh, we want to look at two, three of them. If we don't have time, we'll look at two. Um, but that'll give us a good idea of exactly how... These women help shape and influence how Christianity is understood and perceived, um, and we just want to kind of get over that misconception that women were oppressed throughout history in in the church, um, and and that they had no no influence at all. So, so you kind of talked about Thecla for a minute. Mm-hmm. So, what, what kind of work did she write, and is and is the is what we have in there historically accurate and reliable? for us today
1: yeah so thecla it's it's her story that's written um about her and it's in a work second century work called the acts of paul and thecla and in the second century there were several acts that were written in the name of uh apostles describing apostles so they modeled they modeled somewhat on the book of acts that's in the bible um and they're they are not um scripture they're more you um, could kind of call them like hagiographies. They're they're stories about saints and and so that you're going to especially Thecla because it's such an early work. You don't necessarily go at it thinking everything that is written is absolutely true. Not like what we would do with the Book of Acts in in the New Testament, right? And this is a uh, no one has ever said this was divinely inspired, but rather it's a story about an early saint and. Her, the, I think the big thing with Thecla is she she heard the gospel from Paul and she completely changed her life. She was a wealthy woman, a young woman ready to get married, and she heard the gospel of Paul and she gave her whole life to serve serve Jesus, in my terms. And um, and so she doesn't marry uh, her fiance, and she instead follows uh, Paul as he. Uh, travels a bit and she gets caught up in dangerous circumstances. She's almost, uh, torn apart by beasts and, um, put, you know, burned to death. She escapes all of these things. And in it, it, it shows her, uh, faithfulness to God. And at one point, after she faces all these trials in the arena, they stop the, the trial and, or, you know, the event of her almost You know, being destroyed by wild beasts, and and so many people, she's able to give her testimony. She's able to give her her message, and um, there's a very influential older woman who is convinced uh, of of the message. So Thecla then becomes this uh, example of someone who, against all odds, stands firm. So you have shrines to Thecla um, later church father's visit um you have amulets uh, that are that that carry a kind of a seal sometimes she is shown with um, lions next to her because lioness is protector <laughs> um and so it's just kind of all over. Her story is just really well known, and 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 that that kind of shapes what people think piety is all about. Piety is about endurance. Piety is about giving up your wealth. Piety is about following after God no matter what. You know, those are the things that Thecla represented.
0: Wow, I think that's really powerful and encouraging. uh Just to hear her story, just kind of paraphrase, but I'll definitely want to go back and read that for sure or more of it I've, i read a little bit about it shifting gears to agaria so who who was she and and what is let's just kind of give her give a little bit of a background for her what who is she and what is she best known for in this context
1: yeah well actually she's hardly known at all if stephla mm. is very famous both in her day and today uh agaria is not at all she lived in the 5th century and we know about her because she wrote an itinerary like a um oh like a travel Log of all the places that she visited, that and, and where she visited included um, in in Sinai. So she started in Egypt and kind of tracked through the wilderness in the way that um, the ancient Israelites did. And then she goes up into Jerusalem and she lives for a year in Jerusalem and talks about the um, the liturgical rhythms of the church there and the the special festival days that they have. And then she travels up into uh, Asia Minor to Tarsus where Paul is from and uh, and and close to that area and there is that that's where she um, visits a shrine a quite a large shrine uh, in honor of Saint Thecla. Um, so what what is interesting I think about her first of all she it's in her own words, which is something pretty unusual at this time to have a woman writing. Uh, secondly she, describes the people and places that she went and you she she's definitely a pilgrim and she also is a very well educated observer she knows her bible stories so she connects places with bible stories she's always the the monks are talking with her she goes to these holy places and she obviously has a lot of resources right that she can travel Mm -hmm. Uh, like this so she yeah she she gives us a window into the um the world of of jerusalem and jerusalem churches you know at at this time so
0: yeah so a lot of her stuff was she she gained credibility from from people who are higher up based off of what she knew and and the way that she presented herself and and so so did 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 she also write like a, a an autobiography
1: she didn't write the an autobiography it was her itinerary so it's okay, almost yeah. like uh if we, if you and and a lot of people do right in their churches they take a church group and they go over to Israel and they spend two weeks in Israel and a lot of people i think take a journal with them and they just journal all okay. the places where they were and that's what she's doing she's journaling her what she sees and she both goes to various monasteries and holy sites and then also stays um for a while in uh, in Jerusalem, so that's you know, that's just kind of yeah. It's, it it's fascinating, um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know. She, yeah.
0: What what was it that that made you want to include her in in the work?
1: I think some of it was that um, we tend to, in at least in scholarship, in the study of of this time period, we tend to. Um, minimize as theologically irrelevant things that we would label as kind of what women do. And so we have a Garia who does a pilgrimage and we kind of say, oh, well, that's, you know, she's just going on a trip. But in point of fact, there's a lot of theology that happens in what she is describing. And, uh, and so we wanted to, um, to highlight that it becomes especially important because also in her book, we talk about um, Constantine's mother who goes to Jerusalem and she's very influential in establishing the church of the Holy Sepulchre and the various other um, buildings, Christian buildings that established Christianity in a, as a physical presence in Jerusalem. That's incredibly important. And if we just, See her as oh you know a pious lady who went on a pilgrimage. We miss that she's literally going on an official, formal, royal visit, and she carries with her that kind of imperial authority, and she establishes patterns that will shape the church ongoing. So that was part of the reason we wanted to to spend a little bit of time talking about a pilgrimage, and then also because it's written by a woman, and so. And we don't have as much uh, about that, so that's um, that's why we wanted to, you know, just discuss. Yeah.
0: Discuss so, what kind of patterns did did it establish in the church?
1: Agaria is very. I think what she shows us is there were educated women who knew the Bible stories very well, and who used their money to travel to see these actual sites as. A way of, you know, developing their devotional life, but also at growing as, um, uh, intellectually, uh, in their, in their understanding of Christianity. Um, she is also, she travels. So she's, she's not traveling with her husband. She's traveling with other people because it's hard to travel there (laughs) at that time. You needed (laughs) people, you know, to, she had an entourage, but she's, it's just you know it's just her this is a very public role. she goes just you know meets all kinds of uh monks and uh, other male holy men um and 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 they talk with her and they they treat her as an important guest and so I think that again kind of just shapes our uh it, it fills out the landscape. You had women who were very interested in the Bible and the place where biblical events happened, and so they went there and they they learned stuff, you know. And I think that that's just so different from what we imagine of women being at home and not really knowing the Bible that much. And you know, that mm-hmm. area yeah. shows us that's that's not the case.
0: Dr. Cohick, is there is there anything that you would say to to women today to kind of just encourage them not to let people kind of run over them because they're women in the church and not to allow them to just kind of step on them like that because we know it's wrong. We see how women have great influence in the church and how they've kind of ushered the way of, of what we know about Christianity today and the way it, that it's perceived and practiced. So what would you just say to kind of, you know, encourage women to just uh, have that kind of re- respect in the church?
1: So I guess what I would say at the very bottom is women did just about everything out, everything that men did in the church, except some of the formal there. There's it's debated whether they served communion. It's debated whether they baptized men the, that that has more to do with church order. To your question about, you know, what, what could women take from knowing this history? I think, if nothing else, they could feel a comfort if they are someone who really wants to dig into the biblical text and really wants to grow theologically. That is not abnormal for a woman to feel that. <laughs> that is not a male, it's some kind of a male trait. Uh, Agaria, uh, traveled to see places that then she, uh, that helped her in, in her faith and encouraged others in their faith because she wrote it all down and they could, by reading it, um, also then, uh, participate, you know, vicariously in, in her own, uh, travels. So that, you know, and you have like a thecla who said, I'm not going to get married. I am going to follow my passion to uh follow jesus and and as paul was an itinerant so would i be that's it's not foreign for a woman to want that it's not foreign for a woman to have the strength to be able to uh stand in an arena before wild beasts and say i am a christian this is what women did and and i think that we uh it's not being masculine to be courageous it's not being masculine to go on a trip by yourself to find uh out more about the bible it's not masculine to um you know to say i'm going to be single and and go preach the gospel you know that's that's what these early christian women did and they were supported by the by the church they were remembered they were valued they were held up as models and that's where I would say women today could be encouraged um, if that's where they feel they're they're going. I'm not saying that that's an ideal, uh, but I'm just saying that it can be. It can be an option. And a lot of times mm-hmm. women don't feel that it can be an option. Either. Yeah.
0: So it, it's not limited to men, but it's also not, not um, required by women. It's you know, if you had this right. passion, then you're not stopped by the fact that you're a woman. Exactly. You know? I, okay. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for, for meeting with me and for, and for talking with us today. I really enjoyed it.
1: For those who would be interested in looking at women from a much later time, but a book that I really enjoyed, uh, it's by a Janet sauce kiss. So it's S-O-S-K-I-C-E. I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. And it's called Sisters of Sinai. And it tells the story similar to Agaria, really, of these two women. They were sisters um, who in the, what would that be, the 1800s, uh, went over to um, St. Catherine's, Mount Sinai there, uh, St. Catherine's Monastery. And they were, they discovered uh, ancient manuscripts similar this was a time when uh that monastery and other places were being ex- um, people were finding ancient manuscripts and that there was, a, there was a real movement of text criticism at this time and they were right in the thick of it and it's just a very fun read exciting mm. read and these women man they learned all different languages back then and you know they were they were kind of like an agaria you know and so yeah, yeah it's called awesome. sisters of sinai that'd awesome. be in, fun one for your reader for your listeners i think to read
0: well anybody who's interested in that y'all be sure to to check that out and who, who did you say that that was by one more time
1: it was by a woman janet sauce i think that's how you say it okay. s-o-s-k-i-c-e
0: awesome well well thank you again for your time dr kohic yeah, thank
1: um, you i appreciate it yes ma'am it.
0: thank you well so thank you so much and i hope you have a great weekend
1: thank you you also <laughs> yes ma'am Bye-bye.
0: bye bye All right. We are thankful for Dr. Kohik and what she brought for us this episode. And as you can see, women did have a great influence within the foundation of Christianity uh, and for how we know it to be today. No, it's not us redeeming the world, but God redeeming the world through us. And there is a difference there. And the main difference there is that instead of us being the ones who are redeeming and getting the credit for it, we instead being instruments for the one who can actually redeem the world, who can actually save the world from their sins, because we cannot do that. We are instruments. We are God's lighthouse pointing others toward the truth, Jesus Christ. Next episode, we will have... Christian Padilla, complimenting this episode by talking to us about women in ministry today. What that looks like, some struggles about it, and some things that the Word of God says about it. So we are looking forward for that and can't wait to hear what all Christian has to say about this subject. But until then, might we all just join together to figure out not only what we believe, but why we believe it. Because without the second part, anyone who, who doesn't have a high regard for the Bible or for God or for Christianity will not care to hear about what we believe if we don't know why we believe it if the world wants to know why we believe these things in order for them to have a possibility of coming to the same knowledge of faith then we need to know why as an act of love towards them especially if it means that it'll help them see who god is that he's alive and moving and redeeming i'm your host levi Dade, and this is the defending christianity podcast thanks guys